Hey, I don't do this often, but did you appreciate getting to worship the Lord with our worship team this morning? Good grief. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I'm the lucky one that gets to be part of this multiple times. Uh, first hour when I got up, I couldn't start because I was overwhelmed with emotion. The, the Lord, uh, I needed to worship the Lord under y'all's leadership today. Thank you for pointing us to Jesus. Wednesday night, we had dodgeball, y'all. Yeah, I see some, some kids up there that were part of this, kids, students. So dodgeball, y'all, is something we've been doing in the spring the last few years, and kids come to compete, right, in athletic ventures, but in also costume contests. So there's different teams that are put together, but every team needs to have someone on their team, at least one, that's not part of our church. So a lot of our students uh, did what y'all are doing for Easter, right? Hey, what are you doing for Easter? Hey, what are you doing Wednesday night? Come be part of Dodgeball Y'all with us. And we had almost 400 students that were part of Dodgeball Y'all last week, yes. And because of the invites of our students, five of those students said yes to Jesus this week. Really cool, really cool. Those five students are never gonna sin again. Yeah. Now, why do we laugh? If you're a Christian here today, I'm sure, I'm, maybe I'm not sure, I'm assuming that you still have issues with sin. I won't ask for a show of hands. I'm holding in my hands the book Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This is a classic book. J.D. Greer says the definition of a classic book is it's a book everyone's heard of but no one's read. So I'm going to summarize it for you. Dr. Jekyll was a scientist. And he was a, on the outside, good person. But he did not like the fact that there was a side of him that would prompt him to do bad things. And so, Dr. Jekyll, being a scientist, he put together a potion that would separate his good side from his bad side. Now, Dr. Jekyll was the good side. If you haven't read the book, you might get, because we think jackal, right, in our minds in English. Dr. Jekyll was the good side, and he would only come out during the day, Mr. Hyde was the bad side. Mr. Hyde actually gets his name from the root word that we get hideous or hiding, wanting to hide a side of ourself. In the story, the problem is that Mr. Hyde was much worse than Dr. Jekyll ever imagined. Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll writes in the book, was tenfold more wicked than I ever thought. 
I discovered through this process that man is not truly one, but two. It wasn't that I was a hypocrite. Instead, both sides of me were completely sincere. Mr. Hyde was so bad, every thought was centered on himself. He was spiteful, angry, vengeful, petty. He would steal, he would lie, he would manipulate. He even murders. Dr. Jekyll, tenfold more wicked. Two sides. Can anyone relate? I can. When you read the Bible, do you ever find yourself convicted of your own sin? I'm talking not just here to people that are showing up, but people who've been in church all your life. Do you ever find yourself discouraged that you're still battling that same sin that you've wrestled with for so long? Do you want hope today? If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. If you're online, I want to invite you in your living room to pull out your own copy of God's Word. Maybe you want to look at it digitally, that's great, but maybe you need to turn off the internet side of it so you're not Facebooking at the same time, I'm just saying. Romans chapter 7, Paul, in the book of Romans, he's showed us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we just read in worship, praise God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ came to die for us. We deserved a penalty for our sin that was death, separation from God forever. Jesus took that penalty for us, so we get to be justified, declared righteous by the judge, not based on what we've done, but based on what Jesus has done. The end of chapter 5, he says, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. And he was talking about these two different sides of yourself, the side that comes from Adam in the flesh that's dead to sin. And if you're a Christian, this new side that we now have in Christ that's alive. In chapter 6, he says that in Christ now, we are free because we are with him. And he talks about this new self that we have in Jesus. But in chapter 7, he comes back to this old self in the flesh that's still around in your life and in mine. The beginning of chapter 7, Justin led us beautifully last week to see that we now belong to Jesus and we are released from the law. Does that mean the law is bad? Paul's law being our Old Testament. Stand with me. We're going to read just the first verse of this second half of Romans, but we're standing. The reason we stand on occasion to read is to remind ourselves now that this is now the inspired word of God. Okay, we don't stand when we talk about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There's a difference. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known 
sin. For what I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Holy Spirit, help us right now to see what your word says in Jesus' name. You may be seated. If you're taking notes, basic outline today, I'm actually going to title it Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because Paul's going to talk about these two sides of himself in his own life that are at war. First thing we're going to see is the battle revealed between these two. Second, the battle endured in his life. And if you're a Christian, in yours and in mine. And the third thing, the battle won. The battle won. The battle revealed, the battle endured, and the battle won. You with me? Here we go. The battle revealed. Verse 7, I just read over you. He asks, is the law sin? The law for Paul, first five books in our Old Testament, is the Bible bad? No. Good. Several of you in the room could have answered that for Paul's readers. But he, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, says, by no means, absolutely not. God forbid, again, incredibly strong language, H-E double hockey sticks. No, he says, the Bible is not bad. Why? Because the Bible is going to be used to reveal something in your life that's in mine. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. Now Paul grew up as a Pharisee trained by Gamaliel. He was a really good Pharisee. And the Pharisees focused on the outward obedience to the law, making sure they would look good to everyone else. But in the law, the problem is, it's not just pointing towards what we do on the outside, right? You might be able to, on a good day, control your outsides, the law also points to what goes on inside. Do not covet. Martin Luther says covet, the command do not covet, is the root, he says, of all of the other commandments that we break. And then he argues the reason we commit adultery is we covet. The reason we steal is we covet. Even the reason we don't honor our father and mother is we covet. Or the reason we put other things before God is we covet. It's something that happens on the inside. And Paul says, the law showed me something inside. Verse 8, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Again, sin used the Bible to show me like, oh, look, I'm, the Bible's showing him the sin in his life. Was the Bible sin? No, the, the, the Bible was revealing this sin. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I, I'm not even aware of my sin apart from the law. Verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive. I, I saw this sin and I realized, okay, I died. Verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Why? Because I realized I was disobeying that commandment. I was sinning. 
Verse 11, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown. It might be revealed to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. What is Paul saying? Again, Paul is saying, is the Bible bad? No, the Bible is what reveals the sin in your life and in mine. My oldest daughter, about a month ago, came home from school. She said, Dad, I've been playing basketball. And we're like, cool. And she's like, I hurt my finger. And I'm like, sorry. Yeah. She said, no, like, I really hurt my finger. And I'm like, I know what you're feeling because I've jammed my finger before. By the way, I'm learning the hard way. You don't know what they're feeling. That's not what empathy is. I'm trying to learn this in my own life. I know how you feel is never good to say. She says, no, my finger really hurts. And I was like, well, it, it, could, be, it could be jammed, it could be sprained. And she's like, no, it really hurts. So then she goes and talks to mom, who's got the mercy gift. Mom, my finger hurts. And it was getting black and blue. She's like, no, it really hurts. And Rebecca's like, it's okay, we'll put ice on it. She said, no, it really hurts. So what do we do? Rebecca took her to the emergency care, emergent care in town. And they did something. They took an x-ray and the x-ray revealed brokenness, right? So here's the picture. You can kind of see it there. The, the end of the finger there is fractured. Yeah, not the end. That's not the very end. The joint was fractured. I almost showed you. It's a problem to show because it's the middle finger. I won't show you. So <laughs> the joint was fractured. Is an x-ray bad? No. Now, did I want to see that? No. But we needed to see that so we could take care of the problem. Okay, so what, what is Paul arguing here? Y'all ever find it uncomfortable to read this book? Christians, at times, it's not really fun, right? At times, to open it and go, <gasps> Whoops. Oh my goodness. Ah. Right? This good. It's good. Before we jump into him enduring this battle, I, I, I want to just let you see that what he says here at the beginning is the, the, the battle was revealed to him through the Bible. Read the Bible. In your life right now, if you're struggling with sin, read the Bible. If something's hurting right now, read the Bible. It might show you why you're hurting right now. In the book Move, what 1,000 churches reveal about spiritual growth, authors Hawkins and Parkins describe research conducted on a quarter of a million Christians 
in over a thousand churches. The study looked at 50 different factors that impact spiritual growth. They define spiritual growth by loving God and loving others. Their findings, nothing has, I'll read, nothing has greater impact on spiritual growth than reflection on Scripture. If churches could do only one thing to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity grow in their relationship with Christ, their choice is clear. They would inspire, encourage, and equip their people to read the Bible, specifically to reflect on Scripture for meaning in their lives. Uh, if you're not in the Bible, you can go to firstmckinney.com forward slash Bible, and there's different Bible reading plans you could jump into. You don't have to pick one of those. Our, our plans are not what's inspired. The Bible's inspired. There's tools in there to help you read and reflect on Scripture, how to have a personal Bible study. If something's hurting in your life, the battle's revealed through God's Word. Get in the Bible. Back to the outline I think Paul has for us. He talks about the battle being revealed through God's word and now he's just gonna talk about what he's enduring as he walks through this battle. A few, not the majority of Christian theologians, but a few think what Paul's about to discuss is not what goes on in the life of a believer but instead what goes on in the life of an unbeliever. There's many reasons why I believe he's talking about a believer here. I'm gonna give you just two of them, okay? Verse 14, Paul transitions from talking in the past tense to talking in the present tense. So Paul is going to point to what happened in his life when he read the word in the past, what we just read, now he's going to point to what's, going to, what's going on in his life in the present. So he changes tenses and he talks about an ongoing battle that he is currently dealing with. That's the first reason I think he's talking about a Christian. Second reason, and I believe this is the bigger reason, is he in this discussion of what he is enduring is going to say over and over and over that he wants to do differently. That he desires to live righteously. That he delights in the law of God. And he wants to honor God with his life. And I don't believe that describes the life of a non-believer. I believe that describes the life of a believer. And most Christian theologians agree. And let's see if as he describes what's going on in his life, you can identify. Verse 14, this battle endured. For we know that the law is spiritual. The point he just made, the Bible showed me Revealed the sin, but I am, present tense, of the flesh, sold under sin. Paul, I thought you said in chapter 6 that Jesus has freed you. Yes, the Holy Spirit's in my life. He's going to come back to that and talk a whole lot about it in chapter 8. But he's still got this fleshly body that I've got and so do you. Verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. 
but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, he's another reason to believe this is a Christian. He's going to talk about an identity change that's happened in his life. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Can anyone relate with this? Anyone, like, on your way to church this morning, relate with this? Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I. My identity has changed. I'm, I'm a Christian now. It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, in my flesh. I added my flesh there, but he said it earlier. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. Good grief. Again, Christian, is this true for you? That the Holy Spirit in your life, you delight in the law of God in my inner being, except when it's like calling you out, right? But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Can you relate to this? Do you in your own life feel this battle between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Do you ever feel, am I really a saved person? How could this keep happening? I'm, I'm a pastor. Maybe you've heard me say this. I get paid to be good. Yeah. Y'all are good for nothing. Okay. I'm a pastor. Why am I still tempted with power, sex, money, appearance, approval? Wretched man that I am. I believe the second half of Romans 7 is one of the most encouraging passages in Scripture for the believer. John Newton, one of the Puritan writers who loved Jesus very much, walked with Jesus much longer than me. He writes in a, on growing in grace. By the way, at the age of 83... 
We think growing in grace means getting to a place where we don't need grace anymore. But growing in grace on this side of the resurrection often means growing in our awareness of our need for grace. We just sang earlier, oh to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, fetter is like a shackle. We'll come back to this next week. Bind my wandering heart to thee. My wandering heart, really? You're a hymn writer for crying out loud. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for the courts, thy courts above. Can you identify? Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is their hope. First thing that, that I encourage you to do as his battle is revealed is get in the word. The word of God reveals. Second thing, as you endure the battle, I love that Paul doesn't pretend to be perfect I love that he can write in one of those last letters I'm the chief of sinners and I think sometimes we think that being part of a church means I need to be perfect that's not what the Bible teaches Christian still struggle with sin Paul confessed it we should be able to confess it one to another so that we can be healed he's open he confesses his sin as he walks through this battle. Again, verse 24, wretched man that I am. There's an exclamation point there in almost all of your English translations. And then he asks this huge question. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who? Who will deliver me? I'm a wretched man in my flesh. Who will deliver me from this body of death? If you mark in your Bibles, I want to invite you to circle that question mark. Because if you're not having that question right now, maybe you will next time you're studying scripture. When the sin issue is revealed in your life, this huge question, who will deliver me? From this body of death, circle that question mark and then point to the exclamation point that he is going to give you in verse 25. We've discussed the battle revealed. We've seen the battle endured. Now look at the battle won. Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ my Lord. How do we win our battle with sin? It's not by pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
My point today, if you're taking notes, my battle with sin is won through him. My battle with sin is won through Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus every, over every heart and every mind, over every stronghold. I want to speak Jesus. Tim Keller writes, there's no hope in ourselves for our salvation, nor our obedience. For our salvation, we can only ever look to God's Son. That's Romans chapter 1 through 4. For our hope, we can only ever rest in His righteousness, Romans 5 and 6. And for our ongoing obedience, we need to rely not on our own efforts, but on the work of God's Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to get to read about over the next few months as we jump into Romans chapter 8. I'm going to cheat this. Oh, go with me, chapter 8, just a second. We'll get to read, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And he's going to show how you and I can set our minds through the Holy Spirit on the things of the Spirit. Verse 11 is the Easter story played out again and again every day in the life of the believer. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, the resurrection empty tomb, dwells in you, he, will he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Ha! Ah, I struggled to read that. I was spitting so much as I was trying to, ah! Ah, just be thankful you're back there. This, what is, what is Paul saying? What is Paul, who's gonna rescue me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. What is he saying? December 1941. World War II was going on, and it was not going well for England. Winston Churchill heard about the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and he called FDR on the phone, and he writes that when he called FDR on the phone, FDR said, well, we are all in the same boat now. Churchill later wrote in his memoir, no American will think it wrong for me to proclaim that hearing the U.S. was on our side was the greatest joy to me. England would live. Britain would live. The rest of the war was simply proper application of overwhelming force. I went to bed and slept the sleep, watch how he describes this, I slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful. You're in a war. Is there any hope? Yes. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just a few weeks ago we saw this play out as the President of Ukraine spoke to the Congress of the United States and all these other governments around the world. What was his big ask? He said, we've got this overwhelming battle 
But we can win if you jump in. That was his big ask, right? There's a lot of reasons I won't get into it. Why it didn't just happen? Guess what? If you're in an overwhelming war right now, you know what you get to do? You get to do what the president of Ukraine just did with God. And God has already jumped in through his son, Jesus Christ. The battle is won, how? My battle with sin is won through him. Read this with me again. My battle with sin is won through him. Again, my battle with sin is won through him. This is what Easter is all about, right? We get to share with the world that doesn't know Jesus that sin's penalty has been taken on the cross through Christ and his resurrection proves that it was effective. And we get to share with all the Christians that we know, guess what? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead, great, he's in you. And he gets to, through you, overcome with you in the power of the Holy Spirit, the battle with sin that you are fighting today and you will fight tomorrow. Imagine a group of people, church. Imagine a group of people who are in God's word and through God's word are being convicted of their sin but are enduring their sin and confessing their sin one to another and as they confess to one another pointing each other to the hope that we have in Jesus and reminding each other of the power that God has given us through Christ. My battle with sin is one through him. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to pray. And as you pray right now, I want you to confess to God the sin that you're wrestling with in your own life. You don't, what, what, what Mr. Hyde are you hiding right now? Confess to God. And then I want, I want, I'm going to invite you, if, you, if your Bible's still open, I'm going to invite you to use Paul's words here in 24 and 25. In your hearts, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then, praise God, it's not about you pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. What does this look like in your life next week? I have seen the name of Jesus literally both times it happened. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't grow up with like exorcisms going on. But I've seen the name of Jesus deliver people from demonic oppression. I believe the name of Jesus can help deliver you this week from your sin. So I'm gonna invite you when you see that sin this week come to do what Paul said. Who can deliver me and then speak the name of Jesus? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Say that with me, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. God, I pray that we could do that this week because of what you have done for us. Thank you that the battle has been won through Easter. In Jesus' name.